Anderson flew off indoor. What a year had it been. The Bucks are the world champions. Moncrief going inside. Welcome to the fifth edition of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast of BehindBookPass.com. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me today, I've got Ty Windish, Jordan Tresky, and Tony Ludwig. It's been another busy and emotional week for the books. Um, so I suppose let's get straight down to it. Uh, there's a bit of an elephant in the room here. I mean, last week we had, I think it was Jordan and Tony both made fun of Zaza. Now look where we are. I mean, uh, was this surprising for you guys at all? Was I, I know I I woke up to it and was inconsolable. Uh, but <laughs> were you guys surprised by this, or did you see it coming? I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I thought. I thought maybe Henson would be. The likely one to be traded, but watching the press conference with Monroe and Milton, Hammond included Hanson, and you know, and then what was it like six hours later, the news broke that Petrulli got traded. It was kind of a very uh, rushed feeling, it felt like. But I, I didn't think they were gonna at least trade him, especially with the Dudley trade and all that stuff. But yeah, it was definitely a surprise for me. Well, I knew somebody would be on the move for salary purposes. I thought most likely be Bayless. Um, I didn't expect Zaza to be gone because I thought Zaza had value as a backup center. I thought he had more value as a backup center than Henson did for now. But I guess they're really starting to get Henson into the role of backup. Um, I mean, this is – I'm just so upset because, like, for – like six solid months, I wrote about how Zaza should get traded, and they never traded him. And then, like three days before the news broke, I wrote a piece saying that they should trade Henson and that Henson might get traded. And then they traded Zaza. They so, zigged uh, when the news zagged. Yeah, they really did. They, I, I hinted the Bucks there, or the Bucks hinted me. Um, but I mean, I wrote about it for so long because it kind of makes sense. I mean, especially with Monroe, there's too many centers. Zaza is more expensive than Henson. And uh, the Mavericks really needed a center. I mean, I, I'm surprised we couldn't get any more than the first round pick, but I guess they don't really have any trades. So. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stay calm and sort of rational here when talking about this. Uh, there's a few things. Definitely, as Jordan said, I think we all heard that the Henson, the Henson mentions in the Middleton Monroe press conference, and I think that was I think you wrote the the Henson piece around that time, Ty, and. I remember getting tweets saying, oh, no, Henson's part of the core. He's not going to be traded. And my feeling was, okay, Henson's a young guy. Hammond couldn't really say anything else anyway. He couldn't go, oh, if he left Henson out, it would seem a bit strange. Um, on the other hand, I don't, I don't know. I just think 
they've had this this weird off season where they've they've had to move contracts and clearly they want to get younger. I just I think they've might have moved the two veterans who had the most value to the team. Maybe it's harder to drum up interest in Bayless or probably even more so in in Mayo, but. I don't know. Ilyasova was a good one to move. I think Dudley and Petulia, for what they're earning, and the thing with Petulia, you're getting rid of him for salary purposes. He was coming off the books next next summer anyway. I don't know. I, I didn't get it. Um, the the value definitely returned. I think you said a first-round pick there, Ty. But it was yeah, I, yeah, I did. I misspoke. It's yeah, it was, it was a second-round pick. And, okay, the books seem to have... Developed a liking for second round picks for some reason, <laughs> but particularly considering the way things had gone for Dallas in the couple of days before that, Dallas desperately needed a center. And Cuban, the way he spoke about Zaza in signing a veteran guy like that, there wasn't many people in free agency who really liked the look of. So there, there was real importance there. That they couldn't get more than a second round pick seems really bizarre. I mean, what what did you guys think on that? Do you feel that was enough? To give up Zaza? Was this just a salary dump from the books? Did they need to do that? Or should they have been looking for a little bit more in return? Uh, I definitely think they could have gotten more. Just with Dallas's case, I don't think they could have traded a first round pick because theirs is already, or this upcoming season is already to Boston. And I don't think they wouldn't want to take another player, and plus the players that they probably would have gotten, I mean, just probably another bench player, to be honest. But on the other hand, too, I think teams knew that because they went over the cap to sign Milton, that the Bucks were in like you know kind of penny pitching mode, and I think that both of those factors kind of weighed in. And I don't know, it's well, definitely I mean, disappointing. I mean, that's that's the other thing with this. Okay, so they went over the cap to sign Middleton. Why did they? Why didn't they make? Why didn't they wait longer for Middleton to actually sign? So they ended up cheating themselves out of cap space and basically dumping Zaza when if they had traded him 24 hours earlier or got Middleton to sign 24 hours later, all of a sudden they're looking at a 12 million in cap space. Uh, it, that's If it's a player on a long-term contract and the, the opportunity comes up to trade him after that deal has been done anyway, I understand that. But the fact that he was an expiring deal, to just dump him like that and to do it 24 hours too late... I don't know. It it just didn't add up for me. Um, I guess what you're saying there is true. The Mavs didn't have a whole lot to give up in terms of players. Um, but I'd rather take a future first. If if you're waiting a few years, yeah. right? It might be next year. I'd rather take a future first, or even better, just don't do the deal. Like I could see that logic, but part of it to me feels like they nearly went. Oh right, we've got a call on one of these veterans that we would like to move, who who makes a decent amount of money. Let's just pull the trigger. I don't know. I don't know what you can even bundle second rounders to get out of it. What, what do you think, Tony? Well, I think it was. I don't think the Bucks were confident they could actually sign Greg Monroe until it happened. That's why they didn't clear out space beforehand. That's why they went right after Middleton right away. And I think when Monroe signed, they got desperate to clear out minutes for him rather than money. So I think if anything, moving Zaza is more about making room for Monroe on the court than it is making salary room off it. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, if you just do a little simple math, even Jason Kidd, who doesn't really play guys heavy minutes a lot, even if Monroe only gets 32 to 35 minutes, that only would have left, what, 13 to 20, or 13 to 16 for 
uh, Zaza and Henson to split. And, I mean, come on, you, you really don't want to play two guys seven minutes per game. And Kidd, I think I put this in the article somewhere, I think my Henson one, doesn't usually ever use two big guys at once, almost never. So there just really wouldn't have been room for all three of them. But I still just think the, the return on Zaza and the cap space not really even get not even getting cap space for him was just kind of a, a shaky deal at best. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bucks have done a great job in, in actually building a roster. When you look at where this team was two years ago, they've built a roster with a lot of assets, not only good quality young players, but they had guys like Dudley has value. Dudley... Totally's probably going to be the starter for the Wizards this year, who I don't think anyone has a, denies are going to be a playoff team. Uh, Zaza could be the starter for the Mavs. Seemingly they're in on JaVale McGee now. If, if they go for <laughs> JaVale McGee, I'm pretty sure Zaza's still going to end up as the starter there. If not initially, they'll learn pretty quickly. Um, if if that's, that's two playoff teams that they're potentially giving, giving starters to for, for a second-round pick each in, in both cases. I just think... If you can't get your value, you hang on. I, I don't like the idea of making those around you much better. I take the point. It definitely does clear out minutes. and It makes a lot more sense now that we hear, okay, the extension talk for Henson coming fast behind it. Because they could have they gone, okay, Plumlee isn't really what we thought he was. Let's move Plumlee out. And then we've got a really strong center rotation of Monroe, Pachulia, and Henson. But at the same time, as you said, if you can't really split the minutes between those two guys... But the way it is, it'll be like last season. I'm sure we'll rarely see Plumlee on the court, and Henson will get all of the backup center minutes. Uh, before we move on and talk about Henson in a little bit more detail, do you guys think Zaza will be missed at all? Is he going to prove less dispensable than a lot of people thought? I mean, he was a player, as much as I loved him, as much as a lot of Bucks fans actually really appreciated Zaza's skill set, he was a player that there was always... A section of the fan base who didn't understand what he brought and wanted to move him. Is he going to prove to be a little bit more important than some of those people thought? Um, I mean, even if you just do look at his stats, even the casual fan, I mean, didn't he set like an offensive rebounding record at some point, like late last season? I mean, Zaza can play basketball. He doesn't look like it, and he can't jump at all. But he finds ways to rebound. He's a, he's a pretty gifted scorer, I mean, for what he tries to do. He misses a lot of those, you know, pop jumpers, but he makes a lot of them too. And he's a really good passer in the post. I mean, his his on-court play was never bad. It may not have been starter quality, but Zaza is an ideal backup for any good team in the NBA. So I think definitely, I don't know if miss is the right word because Monroe will come in. I think that if you look at it as Henson was basically the backup last year anyway, so he'll be the backup spot will be the same since it's the same player, if not better. And the starter spot will be Monroe now, who's better than either Zaza or Henson. So you might see an uptick in overall play, but keeping Zaza as the backup to Monroe would probably have produced a better result than having Henson as the backup. Well, I remember reading in the Journal Sentinel recently that when Jared Dudley first came to town and got to his first practice, he started barking out the defensive calls and being a vocal leader on the court, which we all saw translate to the regular season and we all like. But I remember reading how Jason Kidd told him to calm down and let Chris Middleton make some of the calls. And he wanted Chris Middleton to step up as a vocal leader. I think the Zaza trade kind of is in the same vein. I think they're throwing the young guys into the fire outside the, outside the locker room and in the locker room and out, off the court and making them step up 
as leaders in addition to stepping up as basketball players. Because I think Jason Kidd's really big into leadership, which is why they acquired Zaza and Dudley to begin with. But I think they're trying to phase the young guys into being leaders. And like everything else, they really just tell the young guys, go get after it. And they'll make roster moves to suit. Because they're still trying to build on the court, too. And becoming leaders is part of build, growing as players. Okay, well, that's that's the important point. But, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys think that's wise? Have they just... Have they thrown the baby out with the bathwater as such here? I mean, there's, there's part of that which is... Yeah, okay, you want to pass over to young guys. You want them to develop. Do you completely clear out your, your veteran leadership, though? I mean, that's what they've done. The books are on track to be the youngest team in the NBA next season. For a team with, with real playoff aspirations, I don't think any of us think they're not going to get there still. That's that's a bold move. I wrote about this the other day, but could you guys see this being sort of one step back to take two steps forward? Definitely. I, I, I even think, even without the Zaza trade, with Addy Monroe, it, there's definitely going to be some growing pains in it. I agree with Tony, what Tony just said too. It's gonna be. I think people want it to be. You want it. It's so. It's there's just an emphasis on not only Monroe but Henson, obviously Carter Williams, and Giannis Middleton. There's just so many. The the emphasis on the young guys, and the results might not be there right away, but over time, I think it might be. It was. I think it, it was necessary to grow them as players. Not only as players, but as you know, teammates, and it'll be it'll be tough at first, but I think it'll be worth it. Hopefully, worth it. Yeah, I think you're gonna see the opposite of last season, whereas last year the Bucks jumped out to a really hot start, and you know had 30 wins by the the break, and looked like they were gonna just be on fire, and then traded Knight and kind of limped into the playoffs. I think this year you're gonna see the Bucks team limp out of the gate a bit and then sort of pick up around the break and then sort of catch fire going into the playoffs, which is probably better anyway to be to have a hot streak going in and a kind of stumble in. But I mean, yeah, I mean definitely you got they're taking two steps forward or two steps forward to maybe take more than two steps back. I think is the hope. Initially, you're only going to see the steps backward, but the definitely the 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 idea is right now you take a little bit of a loss but grow players more, get young guys more minutes and then hopefully move forward towards championship instead of just towards, you know, six seed, seven seed, five seed, whatever. Okay, so, I mean, I think that I think that is the way that they're going to have to go on it. It's It's got to be a case of they're, they're taking a hit right now. I just, I still don't know if they needed to, if they need to do it so subtly and so completely. I think they could have hung on for, for maybe another year, but even just one of those veteran guys. It's got to be interesting to see, though, who steps up and as you said, Ty, will it be an immediate adjustment or are they going to come out and start the season slow and then sort of, I suppose, a leader will step out from, from the group in that situation? Uh, to get back to Henson, we've had rumours on the, the last few days, I suppose not unsurprisingly now with Zazai gone, um, that the books are, are looking at extending Henson's deal. His rookie deal is going to be up at the, at the end of the coming season. We're going back to the press conference when Hammond referred to him as one of the core guys. Do you think Henson's done enough to merit that sort of core status within this roster just yet? I guess it depends on what our definition of core is and what Hammond's definition of core is. Because I think it's smart to have a core that includes role players and bench players. I don't think you see teams 
very often lock in young role players to long-term deals, but I think it's smart. I think the Bucks are really smart to try to lock up as many players as possible now, headed into the larger cap, because they've made such an they put such an emphasis on roster continuity. This is a really good opportunity to achieve some of that. To know that the cap is going to go up, to know that you can lock in your young role players to long-term deals under this cap, that'll look so much better under the under the new one. That just because they say he's part of the core, I don't think that means they think he's a future starter. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, they saw Henson step up after the whole Larry saga ended and all that stuff. I think his numbers post All-Star break weren't there by any means, but I think they felt comfortable going forward, or they feel comfortable going forward after seeing him play in the playoffs. And I just think, too, I think he's a really good teammate. I think he's really stepped in that role to begin with when he first came to Milwaukee. And it's like the Zaza thing, I think he could replace that guy, that kind of that glue guy. He may not, you may not agree with it, the whole, you know, him warranting a contract extension, but I think what he does in the locker room could really help set the table to build that culture again. I'm just kind of worried about the whole thing because it seems odd, but I've either this in my whole time really behind the books, I've either been campaigning for Henson to get traded or for Henson to become the starter because I really just don't see him being a good NBA backup big man. He's just so inconsistent. I feel like if he had the chance to start, he could you know, grow as a player more, learn that consistency. But in reduced minutes for his whole career, he's never going to really develop that and never really have a chance to. And that's just not the guy I want coming off the bench to anchor the second unit. I mean, there's going to be a lot of games where if Henson's only playing 10 minutes or whatever, where you're just not really going to see him do much of anything and it's going to kind of drag the team down, especially when the offense is used to running through Monroe, who's going to do a lot of things in his 30, however many minutes. And I'm just worried that, I mean, Zaza was a great backup because he's one of those guys who can come into his 15 minutes where however long he has to play, he'll do what he needs to do in that time. Henson, if he doesn't get rolling like he did in the playoffs when he was great, if he doesn't get that sort of that boost, that momentum, he kind of falls flat a lot. So I'm worried that he will not succeed as a backup center long-term at all. Yeah, that that's something that... I, I really like Henson's game, but at the same time, I've never been sure about him as a player. I've never been sure about him as, as a key piece in the team going forward, whether that's starter or, or off the bench. And the reason for that is, okay, he's I think he's 24 now, um, but he still has these pretty significant lapses in concentration from time to time. I know we've all looked at, at times that just looks like he's completely disengaged or even... The word lazy has been thrown out there in regards to Henson on, on more than one occasion. Now, there's a few things I know. He is coming off, I think he's coming off the back of his best season in terms of field goal percentage. He was about 56% last year. And his, his defensive rating was a career best as well. I think it was in around 98 um, last year as well. So he, there's a lot of things he has going for him. We know he can be a shot blocker. I always find it interesting when he gets called a rim protector, because I think a rim protector is more than just a shot blocker. And Henson, he takes big wild swings, sort of, in trying to, to swap people's shots back. I don't know how well he actually protects the rim when it's not resulting in a block. Um, I just don't know that he's the smartest defender necessarily. Now, as I said, he is still, he's only 24, so he's young. He has a chance to grow, but that sort of could tie into what Ty was saying there. If he's not getting starters minutes, 
is he really going to get that opportunity to grow or is he going to sort of just plateau as the sort of player we're looking at at the moment? Uh, the other big question I have on this, with the way the market's going in terms of contracts and, and in what value is now, and, and it's not really even in this current cap, but in the, the new caps going forward, Henson's probably going to come in close to close to 10 million a year. Even with the cap change and that not being quite as daunting a number as it used to be, that's a lot for for a player of his caliber. Just to take a quick look at other big men, not even necessarily centers, that have been tied into deals recently. Um, you know, players like let's say Kenneth Freed. Kenneth Freed will be on about 11.2 million uh, running true. He's a player very inconsistent in the same vein, but at the same time, he's played a lot more minutes. Uh, it weren't than than Henson has in the NBA, and uh, maybe a little bit more proven. I don't know what you guys think. Is 10 million even in the landscape of the new NBA um, and the way that changes things financially? Is that not a lot of money to be committing to Henson right now? And particularly when he, you don't really see him as anything more than your backup center moving forward? Yeah, that's a tough call. I personally would feel a lot better if it were kept under 10. Um, if it's right at 10, it could be worse. I mean, just look at what Oklahoma City is paying Anus Cantor. Even though one of my first articles was the Bucks oh, should for Cantor. Um, don't do it. don't do it, Tony. Let's not let's not go down the Cantor road. I'm on the Greg Monroe train now. That's um, that's all good. But compared to that, compared to Cantor making 17, Henson making 10 is like not even a big deal to me. But I think I he's gonna I feel like he's gonna improve. He's improved every year. Maybe not much, but. He got he made some strides defensively last season. Uh, most of them don't show up in a box score, but the playoffs really showed me that things are starting to come together. And those playoffs were against a really good team stocked with really good big men. So I'm feeling really good about him headed into the season. But we'll see what the numbers are at. He's going to have to play up to that extension, or else it's going to be another almost a Larry situation. Hopefully the attitude doesn't come with it. The thing with that Cantor comparison, I actually, I think I'm going to sort of... Oh, I'm, we're touching it. I'm almost going to defend this <laughs> Cantor here, but at least in, in Cantor's case for $15 million, he's terrible in a whole lot of ways, okay? Um, <laughs> we, all, we, all know, we all know my feelings on Cantor at this stage. At the same time, though, he's, he's sort of a 15-9, and 15-10 and 10 a night guy. Um, he, offensively, he's very good, and he is going to be the Thunder starting center. Um, there, there's no question about that. I don't know. For five million more, if you're going, okay, this is your starting center, and this is going forward, and there's a whole host of other reasons why they've done that. They're trying to trying to convince Kevin Durant now that, oh, look, we're willing to spend money even if it is on the wrong players. I just, I don't know. I find it easier to pay Cantor to be your starter, 15 million. Once again, I'm not talking with the books. But if if we're looking at contract demands, that's a little bit easier than the ten for Henson for a backup. I'm drinking the haterade after what Twitter did to Cantor yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you go, go on, Jordan. Go on. Uh, I I don't, yeah, it definitely warrants that. No doubt. But I just think with the whole cap changing, it's. It's a little more defensible, and you know, you see like a team like Sacramento. Obviously, they are probably one of the worst examples to like, hey. look at what they're doing. They, we can do this, right? But 
I mean, they give Casa Kufos not was it eight mil, eight something, a little over eight mil per year for four years, or thirty three billion over four years. Billion. Billion. <laughs> might, sorry, billion. Overpay. <laughs> Kings aren't that bad. Classic overpay. There's some new. He might. I mean, he might not even get more than twenty minutes a game just because of how you know that team is arranged. So I just I think to pay a big man that. You know, this is hence his first year actually playing center, probably most of his minutes, and he did, for the most part, a pretty good job of that. I think it's a little defensible to do that. It may not. I, I, yeah, I don't know. And I think the other thing too with I think Monroe and Zaza, kind of, they had very similar qualities. Monroe and Henson do not have any similar qualities. To be honest, I mean, Monroe and Zaza have similar qualities in terms of okay, they're both they're both skilled offensively. They can both pass. Zaza can defend though, and Monroe can't. We're gonna get there. We'll we'll get to a place. Hopefully, that's gonna be transformed really quickly, or with with a good defensive team around them, that won't show up quite as much. But I don't know. They were they were similar in a lot of ways, but Zaza did offer something different as well. I'm gonna be honest and. This probably isn't the wisest thing for me to say, but if Henson's going to go for ten million, I'll take Costa Cufas at eight. I'd take yeah, Costa Cufas at eight yeah, any day yeah. as a backup because he's a guy. And when we were talking about centers a few weeks back, when we probably didn't even really think there was a chance of Monroe, uh, we were all pretty positive on, on Costa Cufas. And going back to maybe the way Ty described Pachulia, as at least you you know what you're going to get from him and whether he plays three or four minutes or he ends up having to play 20, 25 minutes. Kufos is dependable, and at $8 million, that's that's a deal. I think there's other deals maybe where, where the Kings can be criticised. Costa Kufos, I think, is, is good value at that. So if Henson's going to touch 10, I, I definitely I'd much prefer a player like Costa Kufos. Um, what do you think, Ty? I mean, I think 10 would be a terrible deal, to be honest. I mean, $10 million a year for a backup that has been wildly inconsistent so far. I'm guessing it's probably at least a three or four year deal, so you're locked into him. And that's still, even on a new cap, even if it's a hundred million, that's a tenth of a cap on a guy who's gonna play fifteen minutes a game relieving Greg Monroe. I mean I just don't like it. If you could have Kufus for eight, I'd rather do that. I'm not gonna fight it anymore. I'd rather have Brandon Knight for fourteen and John Henson for ten. I really would. I mean, Brandon Knight was how close to scratching the all star game in the East. If that guy got fourteen, you'd pay Henson ten. I, I just don't like it. I don't think it's good value. The thing I think with the with the new cap, it's it's so easy, and this is what you read everywhere. This is what you hear from everyone. I'm I'm talking about smart basketball people. That oh, deals that are made this year don't matter because the cap is rising. I don't know. I think that deals that happen this year and next year could end up looking really really stupid because people take that approach to it. Of course, they're going to matter. Cap space is. Is always going to be limited. It's just it's going to inflate the prices that you play pay these players, and 10 million could still end up looking like an overpay, higher cap or not for a guy like John Henson. Um, so I don't know. I think at the moment it's actually as much as everyone says, oh well, look, you can go and pay guys. Hey, why not pay Omar Sheik 14 million a year? Oh, uh, well, the reason you don't do it is because you still have limited cap space. That's the idea behind this. And there's no guarantee that that's not going to look like a bad deal. In fact, something like that definitely will. It's something <laughs> to be wary of when, when approaching the likes of Henson. I don't know. It's a tough one because at 8 million, I think 8 million, we, we could all go with Henson. 
and we go, okay, 8 million for a backup in this new cap, if we're trusting in, okay, the cap is definitely going to be higher, we know that much, but if we're trusting in Henson's ability and what that will represent, 8 million, that seems reasonable enough. Any more than that, and I don't know, I you could probably, you could have got a better backup centre. What did Brandon Wright go for again? Brandon Wright six. went for something like... He went for six. Six million over two years, was it? Yeah. It was uh, like three years, three? maybe. I think it was it was three years, 18 million. Uh, like if if you're looking at paying Henson ten million, you should have gone and got Brandon Wright for six million a year this summer because that's a contract that'll be a real bargain. Before we move on from Henson, just very quickly, what do you guys feel he needs to improve in his game most? And I suppose what in that sense seems really achievable for him, considering the minutes he's going to get in behind Monroe. Well, the obvious is more than one post move. I don't know how teams can do a better job of shutting him down. You know the one thing he's going to do. And in the, he was able to get his lefty hook all season. How hard is it for the other team to stop that? I don't get it. He's got to find something else to do. He's so long and gangly, he should be able to move around the hoop better. Maybe throw some dream shakes in there, some drop steps. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe he just needed another big man to draw the opponent's game planning and to open up some space for him. But uh, defensively, he needs improvement, but offensively, he really needs to show something if he's going to be worth any contract extension. Yeah. I, I, he's shown flashes of being a really good passer, but there's also, like, a lot of the, the times it would be is he's under the basket where the, they're all crowding him, and just it would be like a bailout pass, basically. I don't know if it's – it's definitely not his IQ because I think he's a pretty smart player. I just think he he gets really – it's his confidence. He just has to improve his confidence on offense, especially. Maybe going along with the confidence thing is that right now his free throw shooting is abysmal. We haven't touched on that yet. But he's like 50-some percent, I think. He was hovering around 60 but then dropped in the latter part of the year. His career 50-something, which is just pretty unacceptable. But really, I mean, the one thing I would like to see is just more consistency. I mean, if he's only got the lefty hook, I mean, if he can get it off, that's fine. I mean, Whatever it looks like, if you can get your eight points or whatever you need coming off the bench, that's fine with me. I just, instead of seeing him average eight points by scoring two one game then 14 the next, I'd rather see him score nine then eight then eight then seven then nine. Be more consistent because it, it just, it, it helps the whole team play better if they know what to expect and if they know they can expect something. To carry on from confidence and then consistency, I'd go with concentration. Um, I've... I've got reservations over his basketball IQ. I, I'll, I don't know, I'll hold out on that one like, like you, Jordan. But definitely he needs to concentrate more. Um, there's not many guys. That he, there's times you just look at him and it's like he's a rookie still. Um, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but for a guy who he's got such, I suppose, physical attributes going his way, he has got a lot of talent. There's times you look at him and he's just he looks completely lost out there. And... It may not be an IQ thing. He could be a really smart basketball player. But if that's the case, it's his focus. It's his concentration he needs to work on. Um, moving on from from Henson, maybe sometimes looking like a rookie to rookies and less. Um, <laughs> summer League. That transition game. That was. It was sort of forced, but we're going to run with it. Um <laughs> We'll start off with Summer League. Let's let's run through some of the key figures first of all. Um, what have you guys thought of what you've seen from Rashad Vaughn so far? Is it what you've expected from him, or has he shown you something a little bit different? 
I didn't expect him to be as good a passer as he's shown. Um, I thought he was mostly going to be buckets, 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 but some of the passes he's making, I wouldn't expect a rookie draft in the top ten to make. Yeah, I agree. I His shooting is definitely a little concerning, but, you know, it's three games. You can, it's such a small sample size to look at. And he's not really... He's not really like incredibly like quick or he's he's really he's a good athlete. Don't get me wrong, but he's not like a like a you know a sure sprinter. But he just gets open really really well, and to have that 18 already like that's pretty impressive. You know you know the competition that he's playing against. He's not he's probably not gonna play any of those guys in the NBA. But to, the fact that he already has that at such a young age is really positive to see, and. Uh, yeah, just it felt like every pick and roll that he had, whether he was like the ball handler or coming off them, he just he got open. It was really really encouraging to see from such a young guy. Yeah, I mean, I think he did a lot of little things well. I didn't expect him to do. His inside scoring was a lot better than I thought. I mean, I saw him uh, and his off ball movement too, and those things kind of went together a lot. And uh, I haven't gotten to watch too much, but I was watching some today, some more. Uh, I think of game three. And um, he would just he would cut off the ball like Jordan was saying, and just he'd get a, a pass from someone like Jorge Gutierrez inside and just finish like really quick and it was it just looked hard to stop. I mean, of course the competition isn't really up to par, but I mean still it's it's the little things he's been doing well, and I think the shooting has been okay. It'll probably get better. He's probably a little nervous, but uh, I, I think he's a lot more well-rounded of a player than a lot of people give him credit for, just calling him a shooter or a scorer. I think in terms of his shooting, it's been exactly what I expected it to be. Um, that's not a knock on Vaughn as much as it is on probably his style of play right now. Uh, this is a personal thing. Vaughn, to me, coming out of college, and it definitely all signs point that that he was a choker in UNLV. That's what he did. Um, there was a lot sort of thrown at him as being this selfish player. As you guys have mentioned, his passing has been really impressive. So if he was selfish at UNLV, it was nothing to do with a, with a limited skill set when it came to passing. He's really accomplished in that regard. Um, he's just he's I think he's smarter than I expected him to be for for a guy who who was at 17. As you said, his movement off the ball really impressive. He makes good cuts. Um, I didn't see a lot of him in a, in any video I'd watched before the draft and since the books have drafted him to show him as this guy who was sort of a, a very good finisher from inside. Uh, once he slashes, once he gets in the lane, he's generally pretty competent when it comes to finishing. Um, the other thing, I suppose, that, that stood out, there was a lot of talk, I know, at the press conference when he was unveiled, Hammond and Kidd spoke about, oh, this is a guy who not only is the shooter we need, but he also, we feel he has really strong defensive instincts. And that was something sort of a lot of people, a lot of people questioned, they went, okay, this is, you're, you're trying to sell the pick now, you can't say he's a bad defender. Uh, but that wasn't something he was known for coming out coming out of college. He's had some really good defensive plays, though. Um, I think I think it was last night's game. I can't remember what player it was against, but there was a there was a one-on-one -on -one situation where he stopped the fast break and he forced the jump ball, if I remember correctly. Um, he's just he, he's smarter all around, and that, that translates to both ends of the floor. Um, I mean, his shooting something something that I said around the time when they drafted him, and I, I definitely wrote about in pre-draft articles. When his shots fall, they don't touch the rim at all. I've never seen a player whose shot can look as smooth. If you put a video of Rashad Vaughn making shots without any misses in there, you're going to go, oh, my God, this guy is just 
it's the way his shots fall. When, when his timing's right, there, there's just no iron at all. It's just straight down. Um, saying that, he is it's 30% so far for Summer League um, is, his, is his field goal percentage. So there's work to be done there. All in all, I've been impressed with him, though. Um, I know Bobby Portis has had a big start to Summer League, and that's something that got quite a reaction out of Bucks fans, as well as a lot of other teams. He's, we all know even... Even if Vaughn turns out to be great, there's going to be teams who, who look back at this draft and are likely going to go, Bobby Porter sat there for a good few spots and, and really he should have been gone and te- teams kept passing. Um, to move on from, from Vaughn then, we might get back to him a little bit later, but what about Damian Inglis then? How impressed have you been in the small glimpses you've seen or how unimpressed are you even worried about how he looks right now or is the top priority still just let him feel his way back to full health and somewhere down the line we'll, we'll get a better idea of, of what the books have actually got in him? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I could ever use the word worried with Damien Anglis because I'm just, I don't really have expectations. I mean, a lot of people seem to forget he's a second-round pick. Who a lot of people say drop because of a foot injury, but, I mean, great prospects even if they're hurt. I mean, Joel Embiid still went third overall. That's as far as he dropped. I mean, that might not have been a terrible pick now that we see he's going to miss this year, too. But uh, Damian, if if he comes and he's an okay role player this year, or even just a decent role player, if he's any better than Johnny O'Brien, I'm happy. Uh, right now, he definitely looks really rusty, which, like Jason Kidd said, is just to be expected. I mean, he's been out for a year. He's never had NBA action before. He's going to be rusty. So, I mean, I just watch him play, and as long as it's not a total train wreck, I'm, I, I can't really be dissatisfied with what I'm seeing. Yeah, I, I, I Friday was that you know everybody was watching him because it was him and Vaughn as like you know the top two guys to watch in summer league, and it definitely I think people weren't expecting to him him to be that out of shape, but I think I think it was gonna happen regardless if it was summer league or if it was preseason or if he came back during the midseason it, it was gonna happen regardless and I think. Friday he didn't really display it at all, but yesterday and today he had a lot of confidence, and that that's what made him, you know, make you know good plays, hit shots, and I I think it was I, I don't know I'm not I'm not necessarily worried because obviously you want to ease him back in, and he just wants to be out there. It seems like he just wants to play. He misses the game, and it's hard to tell a guy you can't play because you even though you want to play, it's it's really hard to turn that off and. Friday was definitely worrisome, but after watching yesterday's game and today's game, it was definitely more positive. I was hoping to see a little bit more jump shooting and shot attempts from him because he shot really well when he was playing in France, especially from three, especially from the corner, if I recall. Um, and you'd figure a guy that's trying to recover from an injury, especially a, a lower body injury, would want to take more jump shots just so he's running around less and putting less stress on his legs. So I'm a little bit disappointed there's not more spot-up shooting, but that might just be how the games are going because Summer League is so sloppy. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, it's Summer League, and it's a good opportunity for him to work the kinks out of his legs and to run around so he can start shooting in preseason, hopefully. I mean, I was encouraged. Tonight's game, he was 3 of 6. He made two three-pointers. Um, yeah, I missed was... the game, so I wasn't sure. No, he... This was he did. You you could see that potential tonight, and that was that was encouraging. the The problem I have is, it's it's like Ty touched on earlier, and I wrote a piece on this the other day. Expectations are so high 
for a guy who is a second round pick. Not only that, uh, I mean, people talk about his his play in Europe, or as you mentioned there, he shot well in France, which he did. There's there's no doubt he shot well in France. The level he was playing at in France was really quite low. He was playing second and third tier basketball in France. It doesn't mean anything to us after what Giannis was able to do, though. <laughs> but but Giannis, Giannis is a complete anomaly. I mean, yeah. you're not going to find a Giannis every year, every every two years. I mean, people, when they look at, say, if we take someone from this year's class, we look at Kristaps Porzingis, and they look at Porzingis' numbers in Europe. Porzingis played for Sevilla, who... I mean, Sevilla are one of the top three, top five clubs in Europe. Um, not only in Spanish basketball are they going to perform really strongly, but in continental competition, they're one of the best around. That's a real yardstick. English, his, his averages in terms of shooting percentages, they were good in France. His numbers were really pedestrian. There were four points, two rebounds in lower leagues. Now, you've got to, got to step back here and go, okay, the guy was, was 16, 17 at this time as well playing professional basketball. I mean, none of us could even imagine what that must be like. But the fact that, as Ty said, people talk about English stock only dropped because of the broken foot. His stock only rose because of his work in other workouts and sort of a bit of buzz when scouts did go to see him or when he performed at sort of some of the bigger events where international prospects tend to gather because otherwise he wasn't a guy from what he did in France that was going to come to everyone's attention. So I definitely think you probably hit the nail on the head, and I didn't think about it, Tony. There is definitely just, oh, well, look what Yanis became out of where he was. That's something which naturally for Bucks fans, that's going to be in the back of their mind. I hate to break it. There's not going to be a Yanis every couple of years. I'm, I'm with Tony. We're lucky to get one. Bruno Caballo. Very, very lucky. Yeah, okay. You've, you've said it all <laughs> there, John. <laughs> now he's only one year away from being two years away. This is, uh, with international prospects, the way, the way I look at it, any time it comes to draft time and you go and you watch guys, or even if, if you see snippets of guys who maybe still play in Europe, I'm not sure that the right guys get brought across all that often because there's a lot of, this is an international guy, let's swing for defences and we can stash him if we have to. Um, Bruno, as, as you just mentioned, Jordan, that's, that's a prime example of it. But also, in that same class, that was when, now a Raptor as well, but the Hawks drafted Lucas Naguera. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Everyone was like, oh, he's going to be the rim protector. He's going to be this. He turned out to be pretty much nothing unless he takes a big big upswing after that. Um, look, there's not a whole lot of Yanis's out there. That's that's why finding him is such a big deal. That's why it, it that really more than anything. Um, getting Jabari is great, but getting Jabari when you then had Yanis the team with him, that's what changes a franchise around. Um, that's when you have two potential stars there at once. I just, I really think, I hope Inglis is going to turn out to be great. If he's a good role player, if he's a six-man, or even not even that, if he's a guy who'll come in off the bench for his career and provide good minutes, that's valuable. I mean, other European guys, someone like, we talked about the Kings earlier and some of their deals, Marco Bellinelli. Bellinelli has made a career out of that. He's a pretty valuable player. Monetarily, now, depending on his deals, that, that could be questioned. And a lot of that goes out to fit, but... Bellinelli is a valuable player. Something in that mould, obviously, Inglis is longer. He's slightly different in terms of where he'll end up playing. Something in that mould would be good. This year, I'm going to say it, I don't expect him to be better than Johnny O'Brien. And you all know oh. how you all know how I feel about Johnny O'Brien. Oh. I can be better than Johnny O'Brien. Yeah, I don't I know about that. Some, some Irish brotherhood, but... 
<laughs> Johnny O'Brien's actually Irish? I don't think so, no. I don't think he is. I just wanted well, to make sure. Exactly where he's, from. he's from Cleveland, Mississippi, because I worked with somebody from Cleveland who knew his parents. Irish guys oh. don't make it to the NBA. <laughs> I can't put that out there. That's, that doesn't happen. Um, I do. I, I, I don't rate O'Brien at all, but I think this is English rookie season. It's not just his rookie season. It's a rookie season coming off a serious injury. An injury that, in theory, in a lot of other sports, wouldn't mean that much. It would just heal up. In the NBA, it doesn't go like that. And you've all seen that. We mentioned in B, but there's countless other cases of it. A foot injury in the NBA, when you're going to be running up and down hardwood floors every night, every second night, that really can be pretty serious for your career long term. So, um, Yeah, if you look at I'm, a guy who plays a similar position, sorry to cut you off, but Kevin Durant is a guy who also plays forward who isn't really comparable to Inglis and much, except he also has that foot injury and there's some question marks around him for his whole career right now coming off of that. Definitely. I'm just glad you clarified that Inglis and Kevin Durant <laughs> don't have a whole lot of similarities right now. Hey, we don't know. We've never seen Inglis play a game. <laughs> Well, we sort of have now. We've seen him play three summer league games. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and see how Kevin Durant did in summer league. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in college, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go go out on a limb here and say that Damian Inglis is not gonna be as good as Kevin Durant. Okay, you, so Michael Jordan. Jordan. You, you, can all, you can all hold me to that. Bold yeah. prediction. <laughs> um, on the subject of players who aren't going to be as good as Kevin Durant, <laughs> Jorge Gutierrez. Um, Second prediction. We, we all, I think it's safe to say, we don't really expect Gutierrez to make the roster. He's a non-guaranteed contract. At the same time, he's the roster guy who's there at Summer League. If, we, if we're not talking about Vaughn, we're not talking about Inglis, he is the guy who, who officially has a contract right now. Um, I don't know how much attention you've paid to to Gutierrez play. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there to start with today was a good day for him. He had eight assists, uh, one turnover. That's really good. Um, that might be Gutierrez's best game ever. If you've seen what he did in the games before that, it wasn't so pretty. So for the first two games, um, Gutierrez averaged let me see three and a half assists per game and three and a half turnovers per game. I'm trying to think. I think it was game two at that as well that he, he averaged maybe five or six turnovers. And this has been, up until today, a massive problem for the Bucks at Summer League. Um, that their assist-to-turnover ratio has been something like 1.5 to 1 in favor of turnovers, which isn't good and not going to win you many basketball games. Is there any point talking about Gutierrez? Does he even have the slightest chance, even with... Even with the Jason Kidd connections of making this roster, if he can't have more assists and turnovers in summer league, uh, maybe I, I don't know. I I think the other thing that really stood out to me is he can't shoot. He really cannot. It's really I mean, you know, we have a starter starting point guard that has very known shooting problems, and. Whenever I saw Gutierrez with the ball and he was pretty wide open, he elected to pass to some other guy. And that's you know, that's nice to see too, but when you're wide open, it looks like, hey, just shoot it. And he just didn't have he didn't put it out there. I think defensively he's per, he's he's definitely a pass today 
we saw that he was a pest. I think uh, the other games, he definitely <laughs> did a lot of hand checks and got fouled for it. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I don't know. It really, it stinks, too, because Ennis, I think Tyler Ennis would have benefited so well playing summer league. And, you know, when that news came out that he had a torn labor and he's going to miss it, it's like, it was brutal. He would have been, I thought it would have been really nice to see him and Gutierrez just play off of each other if they were in the same lineup but or replace each other. But, man, it's it stinks not seeing Ennis there because he really needed to, uh, to get some development. Yeah, that, that's a good point, and I could be wrong, but I, just, I feel like Ennis would be one of those players that when you watch Summer League, you know, sometimes there's guys where you go, this guy is way too good for Summer League. He's just, yeah. it, it's, he might be distinctly average in the NBA, but put him in a Summer League setting and they're just smart enough to make a difference. Um, I think Ennis could have been one of those guys. Johnny O'Brien is also injured, but I don't know if that quite applies in the same way. Um, <laughs> any thoughts on Gutierrez, Tony or Ty? Well, Gutierrez is a guy that's kind of just there. He's not very good, but you you have to respect him because he at least tries. Like his lack of impact isn't for lack of trying because he's a tough nosed and gets after it on defense. The problem is he's just not a ball handler. He just brings really no plus skills. So I think not. I mean, the only way he makes the roster is if Ennis somehow has a setback and isn't ready to go, or they trade Jared Bayless. Even if they get rid of Ennis and Bayless, I mean. I can interest you in a better version of Jorge Gutierrez that can shoot. His name's Kendall Marshall. He's still a free agent. Um, you could just bring him in because he does all the things Gutierrez does well, better than Gutierrez. He still really won't be expensive. And despite the, this, like, this buzz that he can't shoot, although he's a 30-something, almost 40%. I think he's 36 or 37%. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a, he's a long-range guy. He can, he can shoot the ball a lot better than Jorge Gutierrez. Um, if he wasn't hurt, I don't think Jorge would ever crack the roster because uh, Kendall Marshall is your ideal backup point guard. He can space the floor a little bit. We all know he's a he's a pesky defender, just like Gutierrez, and he uh, he's a great passer too. So I mean, I just think for the it probably won't be much more at all. Bring back Kendall Marshall, who can actually do positive things on an NBA floor. Who would you guys like to see as the books? Third string point guard heading into the season. Not that this, uh, like, I realize when I'm saying this, how much is it going to matter who the Bucks' third string point guard is? <laughs> but just in case injuries hit, who would you guys like to see as the third point guard on the roster? I got it. It's got to be Kendall Marshall. I don't know how I forgot him before, but I love me some K biters, so we should bring him back as quick as possible. I would agree too. He, he, I think what really, what we kind of missed, especially when you know they traded Knight, is that he was he was just such a willing passer, and I think when he would get open shots, he made them. You know, it's the, it's not he's not a world beater by any means, but he he was just such a really good player and a really good teammate. But you know, and it's, yeah, I I would definitely agree with Marshall. Uh, I'll go against the grain and say. I'd rather see Ennis be the third and Kendall Marshall be the second. I just think he's like he's got everything you need in the backup point guard. I, there's not really you can't really do much better. I mean, I guess guys like Sean Livingston, 
And I'm feeling Vasquez now, aren't I? I am. Yeah, I'm assuming I'm just there. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Vasquez. Um, then, yeah, K-Butter after Vasquez, I suppose. I was just thinking, like, veteran long point guards, and Vasquez was the second one I thought of. I was like, oh, wait, he is on the team. So I guess you can do better than Kendall Marshall. So I guess Marshall third, yeah, and then I don't really know where Ennis fits in, or Bayless, for that matter. Uh, it's still got the point guard or the guard in general logjam that needs to be worked out really quickly. But, yeah, if they can bring back Marshall for two, definitely do that. I'm not going to go with Marshall purely because that means having to get rid of three point guards. and That's a bit of a challenge in itself. Uh, at the same time, I'm going to go with Ennis because it can't be Gutierrez and really anyone other than Jared Bayless. Uh, <laughs> Particularly on that deal, it's not a whole lot of money, but let's just let's just move it. If we're getting younger, move Bayless, move on. Let's go with Ennis for the limited minutes that you'll see. Let's give it a go. I wouldn't be against Marshall either. I really like Marshall as a player, but just I'm worried enough about the books getting rid of two point guards. Never mind the third. Um, to keep on summer league, of the non-roster guys, a lot of whom we probably didn't even know who they were only a few days ago. Is there anyone who stood out to you guys? Is there anyone who you'd, you'd like to see, I suppose, at least get an invite to training camp or make the preseason roster? I've liked Kilpatrick since he played in college in Cincinnati, so I was excited to see him added to the roster. He was a lot stronger than I thought he'd be. I thought he was more a shooter. Um, I didn't know he was as well-built as he is. So I'd like to see a closer look at Kilpatrick. Um there's not very many other guys on the Summer League roster that are a- intriguing at all. Um, I wouldn't expect Michael Eric to get an invite to training camp. He's been, well, maybe to training camp, but he's been around Summer League so long. It's like if something were going to happen, it would have happened by now. I don't agree with Kilpatrick. I think he's been a really good shooter. I don't know what else he could do. He's, he's not a bad defender either, but I think he's one of those guys that, he won't. He'll get an invite preseason. He'll probably play in the D League a little bit. Then, you know, who fill in whatever bad team by March or so. He'll get an invite, ten day contract or something like that. Um, yeah. Besides that, I mean, Michael Eric's been really good at falling. Kra- or <laughs> Slava Kravstov had a black party day. Uh, <laughs> he got the, the the thing I'd like to add to that because. I was getting really annoyed with Twitter earlier. <laughs> Just watching this. Uh, it was the same as, I think it was yesterday, maybe it was the first game, it was like, sign Michael Eric, get rid of Plumlee. Then yeah. Today it was like, Slava. Slava has, has had, I think he had five blocks. Okay, that's impressive. Slava got blocked four times in 15 minutes yesterday. <laughs> I think that says a whole lot more about him. Uh, let me see here. I, I'm sure I have his averages. So, two points and two rebounds in 15 minutes per game. Um, no thanks to Slava. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Um, just Slava, Slava makes my blood boil right now. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I, yeah, there's not much else. Cameron Clark shot a lot today and did not make much of anything. The thing with Clark, Clark was 55% from the field before today. Yeah, averaging like twelve points, five rebounds, maybe. Um, he, was, so, he was pretty solid, and then he just fell off the earth today. It was really bad. It was uh And Jerome Randall, I mean, 
I know you said something on Twitter, but he wasn't that bad. He he just reminds me of Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, they they have uh, <laughs> probably the same height, but it's just uh, he he was he wasn't that bad to see. But there's other than like Inglis or Gutierrez, there's no one else that I would even probably invite. Just maybe Kilpatrick. Uh, yeah, I I absolutely love Jerome Randall. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's in any way practical from ever to step foot in the NBA. Um, at five nine, we know there's not. It, it happens. Okay, you've got Isaiah Thomas, you've got Nate Robinson, but it's rare for guys that size to to be that successful. Um, I don't know. There's something about him. I I don't even know enough about him to be able to put my finger on it, but there's something that's just, there's a real sort of street feel to his game. He's got such a good handle. I don't think he passes very much at all, uh, but that that thing, that, that bailiff trick of running up and down the court and then taking a pull-up jumper, Randall does that, but he actually hits the pull-up jumper, and yeah. that gets me excited. Um, <laughs> Kilpatrick, you can't argue with his numbers. I mean, if, if the books don't take him to to preseason or into training camp, someone else is going to. I'd actually be quite surprised if he doesn't get picked up on a deal. He just seems like when it's halfway through the season, you're like, I don't know who any of these Sixers players are, player 34 and 35 to join the Sixers in a season. One of them is going to be Kilpatrick. And you'll probably have some, some 15, 20-point games or something. That's that's how it works. Um, Eric does a lot of really good things. Um, his rebounding is good. His, his defense is good. And then he'll go and average like five turnovers a game as a center. Um, not really his fault. He, he shouldn't have been put in the spot earlier. But at the end of regulation, I don't know if you guys saw that that inbounds where it was like, I've got the ball in my hands. I don't know what to do when the ball is in my hands. And it, that, that was basically the game right there. He blew it. It went to overtime, and that was that. Um, I mean, besides that, I, I don't see a whole lot that you'd bring forward. Clark was interesting. I, I wouldn't completely be down on him just because of today's game. He had a bad game. Um, well, I think he was. Let me see. Okay, uh, maybe I will be down on him. He was 2 of 15 today. <laughs> uh, so, so we'll write Cameron Clark off the list for 2, two of 15 is pretty bad. Um, just before we move away from Summer League, what do you guys make of Summer League in general? I have this problem where sometimes I sit there watching it and I, and I just ask myself, what is the point of this? Um, <laughs> how do you guys feel on Summer League? I'm probably not too, too far off. I mean, you kind of wanted to just see like the, the draft pick and if there's another guy that kind of flirted with the rosters that may be on your team or, you know, if it's like a, another, like you know, like a Towns or a Russell, you want to see that, but it just gets so bad so quick. It's it's it gets really unenjoyable very quickly. I and don't get a lot of the the quirks in terms of rules as well. Like why? Okay, these guys, a lot of them are coming out of college or they're undrafted. Why are they not playing full length quarters? Not that I'm saying that. I'm like I'm so relieved I don't have to sit through full length quarters of summer league, but. Why do that? Why if it goes to overtime? Why do we have two minute overtime? Why could they have? Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely the one that like stood out. What does ten fouls achieve though? I mean, it's like 
Oh yeah, okay, Gutierrez, you have a non-guaranteed contract. You're trying to make the roster. Oh, go out and have seven personal fouls today. Nice three steals with your seven fouls. I don't get the point of summer league at all. I think it's an unpopular opinion, but it's like it's great, <laughs> great to see the pick. But why not say why not make preseason longer and spread the games out more? Um, not not in any sort of way that you're going to be like, oh, the guys are so tired coming into the season because of preseason. And I know Adam Silver talked about cutting back preseason, which to me just sounds crazy. Just it's like four or five games as it is. But you could make preseason longer, maybe spread it out a little bit more, and everyone gets a chance to see the draft pick. You could bring some non-guaranteed guys along into your training camp. Summer league is just a mess, though. And uh, for some of these guys, I get it. It's it's their showcase. It's nearly. It's it's more for European teams who are like, okay, who are we going to pick off this year? Um, so I don't know the whole thing fascinates me. What do you think, Tony? You are you are more of our, I suppose, draft guy. Do you see the value for the undrafted guys in summer league, or how do you feel about watching it? Well, the undrafted guys that are going to make rosters are pretty much going to make rosters regardless of what happens in summer league. So it's you're right, Adam. It's really more about just guys auditioning to play overseas, basically. Um, you have the high draft picks. Like the first summer league game I saw was Frank Kaminsky because Frank the Tank, and you know he comes he comes in and he's fun to watch. He's doing his thing, getting his first taste of NBA action. Um, but it's really more about the other guys, and I don't know why it has to be televised. And I just I don't take it too seriously. But it's interesting to talk about guys like Vaughn, and you get to see. The first bit of their uh, their ability and Inglis gets to warm up a little bit. So as a pre preseason, it's all right. Um, it serves its purpose, but I don't know. I just wouldn't read too much into it. Yeah, I mean, as I said, the issue I have if I'm if I'm a GM or if I'm a scout or anything, if there if there, there might be guys here. You go, oh, they're gonna help some NBA roster. Someone's gonna come out of summer league, make a roster, maybe make an impact not necessarily on a good team, but someone will come out of it, I'd still want to see them play in NBA conditions. So why not play 12-minute quarters? Why not have you that you can foul out? That they're just It's complete nonsense to me. <laughs> Let's move on from Summer League. It's nice It's nice to get to see Vaughn. It's nice to get to see Inglis. Um, it just it gets us there a little bit quicker. I'm glad of that. If we were, if we were to have to talk about everything that Inglis has going for him without actually seeing any of Inglis running into the season, I'd probably lose my mind. So in that <laughs> sense, it's nice just to get glimpses of these guys, um, but sometimes I just think it is. It's really overblown. And um, To move on to something a little bit different, so, I say a little bit different, of course, I have Summer League to thank for this because it came in a, an in-game interview Jason Kidd did last night on NBA TV. Um, he said a number of interesting things, and sometimes I wonder when Kidd talks does he realize what he's supposed to say and what he's not supposed to say? Is there like front office guys just tearing their hair out going, oh, God, Jason, what, what are you saying? Um, one of the things he talked about, Brent Barry was talking about how the books, they're, they're quite experimental in some ways, and a lot of the things the kid implements with them is it's a little bit outside the box, particularly the defensive switching. And that led Kidd into to saying some interesting things that maybe wouldn't be quite as intriguing if it wasn't for the shape of the roster, where at the moment we all look at the roster, okay, the center problem isn't as isn't as significant as it was with Zaza gone, but we all go, oh, there's way too many guards. Scary thought, the books might not think there's too many guards right now. Uh, Kid's quote was, 
I think sometimes we get caught up in just being a two or just a three, but what's that really mean? Uh, when you look at the last six minutes of game, you want your best five guys on the floor. I'm not afraid to say that that could be three guards or four guards. Move someone to the four and play them with a big. I look at guys who can play multiple positions and understand how to play the game the right way. We've seen... So this isn't this isn't something completely new to the NBA. It generally happens more out of, I suppose, whatever the circumstances are. I mean, if if you're behind by quite a bit, yeah, you'll go four guards or you'll, you'll put four guys who can shoot the tree just to try and shoot your way back into a game. Or if injuries hit you in a way that you, you, you have to go small, you have no choice. I mean, that can happen either. Are the books, though, could there be a chance they're thinking a little bit more in terms of, I don't know, we'll call it positionless basketball? Um, is there such thing as oh he's a really good basketball player let's put five of them out there and that will work in the NBA I suppose maybe the Warriors have made this a little less controversial because if Dre McGreen is going to be your five on a championship winning team which he ended up being then maybe there there is an element that of that that can work but what do you guys think do you think the books are going to play around with this idea a little bit this season I think so I mean we saw We've we've seen lineups where I think and just with you know we talk about their length and all that stuff you know you can put Carter Williams at at the three he's not necessarily the shooter that you want him to be by any means but we have seen him play at the three it's not I, I don't know I guess we have to go along with it but it's it's something that they do. The question is, the question is, do we want to go along with it then? Uh, do you like the idea of watching Michael Carter Williams at the tree, Jordan? No, <laughs> no, I don't. Not as as he stands right now. I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't know how you could do any. I don't know how you could put OJ Mayo at the three. I don't know how you could put, God forbid, Jared Bayless at the three. I just don't. <laughs> but it might happen if he's on the team. It might happen. If Bayless plays at the tree, I, I might have to give up on basketball. If the books <laughs> for any, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll let them away if it's the last 10 seconds of a game and they're down by one score and they're bringing Bayless in to be, to be a ball handler, <laughs> to be a shooter, whatever that is. Uh, okay, I can live with that. If Bayless plays at the tree in any other circumstances, I don't even know what to say. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. This quote just jumped out to me. There's there's another quote we'll get onto in a minute that was the, the one that was really widely reported. But to me, this just sounds like something that kid would consider doing. Um, maybe that's because kid himself was he was a point guard, but he was pretty big, particularly for for that generation of point guards. He had good size. Um, his all round skill set. He was he could score. He could pass. He could rebound. So maybe. He, in that sense, he could see himself as a player who would be capable of that. I think he may be overestimating a lot of the players on his roster if he thinks, for example, Jared Bayless could play anywhere bar the one because I don't think he can play the two really either. Um, Put at the five. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's send him to Summer League and play him at the five. He could probably get just as many turnovers as Michael Eric. Oh. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think, Tyre Tony? Having Bayless at anything but the one, Michael Collier Williams at the three, that's a positionless basketball, and it's probably winless basketball, too. I mean, these positions exist for a reason. On a team with Jabari Parker, Giannis Atetokounmpo, and now Greg Monroe, playing more than two guards in pretty much any situation is just 
they're just dumb. I mean, and you got Middleton in there too, and he should be on the floor pretty much all the time if he's worth fourteen million a year. So that's four spots I feel like are locked in. And I mean, Middleton's barely a guard to be honest. He's a wing. He doesn't play like a guard that much. He's big. So I feel like that's just one spot where, in, in starting minutes, you should only see one guard besides Middleton if you count him. And of course, like you can't play all minutes. There has to be, you know, reserve guards and all that. But three guards on the floor means that at least two of Giannis, Jabari, Middleton, and Monroe are not out there, and that's just that's not your best five players. Well, I don't think the the multiple guards thing was uh, meant to be in reference to any extended period of time. I think that's just bench units. And going back to the last podcast, I could see Vasquez playing the three. He at least spreads the floor. Um, he can pass well at the three. Um, so I could see a lineup, a bench lineup of Bayless, Mayo, Vasquez, and... I don't know. That's three. I don't. Four guards is crazy. Not even the Warriors would use four guards. Maybe if maybe since they have Sean Livingston, they would. That's insane. Like four. I I did that in 2K six years ago, when I was like 17. Like that's not gonna happen in real life ever. I can see, I can see how in theory it can sound like a great idea. Like Vasquez at the tree, you stop and you think about it, and you go, oh. Okay, Vasquez, he can, he can shoot the ball, he's a good passer, he can rebound really well as well. Oh, that might work. And then you stop for a second, you're like, okay, so who's he going to be matched up against? And then you start to think of small forwards around the NBA, and it's like, oh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And then if you move to power forward, and you're like, oh, so we're going to go with four guards. As you said, it's completely ridiculous. But if you're going with four guards, even if that's Vasquez, or even if that's... You're gonna to have to play your longest guards. So what does this this idea of four guards? Does this mean like Michael Carter Williams plays the four? I oh. mean, this is all just crazy. Um, but you got a post game. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, until he's trying to post up against Sergi Baca, um, and <laughs> that's the problem with it. <laughs> just it it makes sense in terms of skill sets. You can go, okay, that guy has a skill set that is compatible with sliding over that position in a world where he's not facing against someone on the opposite end of the floor who's actually designed to play that position. Um, I don't know. I just found it interesting. Hopefully it's something we're never going to have to worry about. Um, but I don't know. If if they do, the, the way the Kings have been crushed for, for the whole four and five thing... Uh, positionless basketball scares me more. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Both of them are pretty bad, but positionless basketball, I don't really like the idea of. And the other kid quote, the one that probably grabbed a lot more traction, and understandably so, personally, it left me completely baffled. Um, but kid was talking about the team wanting to do more business. Um, I, th- I think it was Brent Barry again asked him, with the way the book shot last year, would he be interested in a shooter? Uh, kid's quote was, I think in this league, as you can see, when teams are in the finals or the playoffs, you've got to make open shots, and that was something we struggled with. So, you know, you're always looking for a shooter, probably a veteran, a guy that can come in and doesn't have to play a ton of minutes, can let the young guys play, but a guy who can come in, show his work ethic, and play hard. He's just described Jared Dudley. This yeah. makes absolutely zero sense to me. Um, we said at the time, Dudley was always a move that spelled out more moves 
if you traded Dudley to try and get another version of Jared Dudley, you're going to be in trouble because I think Dudley was about the best of those guys around that was available now that it seems he was available. Um, <laughs> what, what do you guys think on that one? Well, it's, it's really weird because then they did trade for a guy who was like Jared Dudley and Karen Butler, and they let him go too. So I don't really know how many of these guys Kid thinks is floating around the NBA. Paul Pierce has been signed too. But, I mean, if there's five of them, three are already gone. I'm not sure how good the other two are. Well, um, if he's sitting around talking about how he wants to replace what Jared Dudley brought to the team as far as a basketball standpoint after having traded him, well, then we can assume that the reason they traded Dudley was because of off-the-court stuff. And I think, again, that ties into him wanting his young guys to step up into leadership roles. Um, so he's looking for a guy that can do what Jared Dudley did, but take a back seat both on and off the court to the end. Of, the, of course, the part that we're going to have to address now, the rumor that's come out is that the books are offering Chris Copeland the guaranteed deal. Copeland fits the bill of a guy, if, it, if it's as you said, Tony, that, okay, we want that sort of skill set, Copeland's skill set is not as good as Dudley's, uh, but I definitely don't think he's going to be going and being the leader on the team, despite the fact he'd be the oldest of the team at 31. Um, I just honestly don't see what the issue is in having one veteran leader on the team. Um, I, I guess that you don't want a, a full locker room full of veterans who are going to be... That, that your rookies and that, I suppose, your second, third-year players aren't going to get to have their voice heard, and they're not going to get to develop in quite the same way. But really, what does one guy do? I mean, if if that's the skill set you need, and that's the sort of player you want to have there, then just keep Dudley. <laughs> just keep Dudley. Let let him be a leader. I mean, if he just, once again, if he rubs off on a guy, and next year or two years down the line, that guy then is the Dudley as the team evolves, that's perfect. I just don't know if there's a whole lot of guys out there. Definitely, I didn't think there was, really, free agency-wise. Maybe I'll have to look deeper now. I didn't think there was a free agency, and then... Chris Copeland comes out. Um, what do you guys think of the Copeland rumors? I'm hoping it means that Johnny O'Brien doesn't make the team, personally. Um, let's just get some pot, like some forwards in here so we don't have to watch Job play the end of the games anymore because even even when he comes in in a big win, he just sort of makes it just... It almost doesn't feel good because you just see him out there just unexcited and slow and grouchy looking. And it just makes me like, come on, man! Like we're winning this one. Like, be excited, job. Jump, jump once. Make a shot. Come on. <laughs> that was boring. I'll, I'll jump in there just to say that they'll need more than Chris Copeland to get rid of him. This is this is what he see that he might actually end up playing meaningful minutes again this year. Let's not forget the amount of games Job started last year. I think that's that's something that so we've all probably tried yeah, to erase in the memory. Yeah, I, I try to forget that. All that good Irish liquor over there, and you still remember? <laughs> I think that was pretty much around the time I started at this site, and very quickly I was asking myself, why did I sign up to write about this team <laughs> that started Johnny Upright at the four? <laughs> this, this is the NBA. Um I, I they need two forwards before you're not worrying about Johnny O'Brien. Um, I don't. I never noticed them being that unenthusiastic. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think you might have imagined that just with your own hatred of him. Uh, I, don't, I don't hate him. I don't hate him. He just makes me sad when I watch him play basketball. <laughs> um, okay, move, move it back to Copeland. What do you think of Copeland, Jordan? 
I'm trying to think of one of the other teams that were linked to him. Like, I think it was the Clippers or Clippers Spurs and the Spurs. Or... I mean, if they want to, if he wants to spurn those teams that come to Milwaukee, I guess good on him. But I just, I don't know. I don't. I think it's a rumor at this point. We'll see. It obviously could materialize at some point, but I just don't know what he does better that Jared Dudley doesn't. You know. Uh, I think he does nothing better than Jared Dudley. Like that's that's a good chance. I I mean he's he's a solid guy if he is your fifteenth guy in the roster. That's that's my take on him. I don't I don't necessarily dislike his game. I just don't think he's that good. Uh, plus he's thirty one. I don't think people realize that because he looks younger. He's only in the league three years, but he is thirty one. Uh, we we've all. I think everyone was amazed. At some stage, everyone had that moment where they realized Jared Dudley wasn't even 30 yet. Um, <laughs> but to, to, to take a player that's two years older than him, because really this is what we're talking about here. So if it is, and it, it could well be that they, they wanted to move away from Dudley was too dominant a figure in the locker room. They want to go with other guys. Basically, the decision and their thought process was, okay, let's move Dudley. Let's get a guy who isn't as good and... Um, isn't going to instill maybe the same sort of positive or good habits in the team. And then is actually older as well. So if that if that is the way it plays out, it's like, what were you doing? Why make that move? Um, and it, make, it, makes, it makes it sound like, like Dudley, you know, we hear how, how good of a teammate he is, but it also makes it sound like, you know, he wants to play no matter what, even though we we saw him that he took a back seat when he had his back injuries and stuff like that. It just was, it's kind of weird, you know. Jason Jason Kidd is one for making weird statements. Yeah, to, begin with, but. to be fair, I've I've seen that I've I've read that in a few places that it, maybe it was Dudley and and Zaza as well. I've I've seen and um, did anyone ever think the reason they were traded was that they didn't want to be bench guys? I find that quite hard to believe in both cases, particularly anything Dudley said on the record. Of course, there could be a difference in what Dudley says on the record and off the record. Uh, but then when we're talking about Dudley here, we, as we saw with Kobe and Melo, he has no problem with saying things on the record. So <laughs> at the same time, that, that seems unlikely. But yeah, I suppose if we're, we're back to this thing of clearing out minutes for guys, and if they weren't going to be happy in backup roles, I guess you've got to move them on and just, just go in a different direction. I just I still find that I find it a little bit hard to believe. I think Dudley didn't expect any more than that when he comes in when he came into Milwaukee. We've all got to remember the place Dudley's career looked like it was in. I think that might be part of the reason for people perceive him to be older than he was, because for all intents and purposes he was washed up. When a team is trading you away with a first round pick just to get rid of you, yeah, that's not normally a good thing. So his season was pretty remarkable to come back from that last year. Like uh, he was, he was like the anti Karan Butler. With his Milwaukee stint, like <laughs> obviously circumstances were totally different, but he really accepted his role. Like, it's not like Karan Butler, you know, he left the team midway through the season to go to OKC. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's pretty much it. What we're gonna do before we finish up, um, we're back to Ty's favorite part of the podcast, and that is the mailbag, um. Some of these we've touched on, so we run through them quick. Um, first tweet I have is from. This is also everyone's favorite part when I read out <laughs> uh, the first one is from Ad uh, Whisk Sports fan 
underscore. Very important to remember the underscore at the end there. Um, opinions on the books possibly getting Copeland. I mean, we've covered that there, but I suppose final word on it, yes or no to Copeland? Do you think the books should make the move for him? They, they do need a four. Is he the guy you'd like to see them go, or should they look and explore maybe other options? Yeah. Go after McBob instead, that's what I'll say. Still on the McBob train. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm going to go with the solid Tony and Mayor. I'd rather just see him go after... I mean, go after a D-leaguer or something. Someone who might have potential. He's not 31. No, but I think the, the last thing this team needs is a D-leaguer. The whole... The, the, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, this whole team is now... It's built on potential, and not in a bad way, because the potential of some of these guys is really high. But I just clearly it's not the direction the team wants to go in. But just please get one veteran. <laughs> one veteran. We don't want the older guys in the roster. It's like the way this is. It's it's seriously. It's it's OJ Mayo and Jared Bayless. The guys are going to look to for leadership. That's terrifying. Um, next question. A frightened inmate. If OKC has put Novak on the block, would it make sense to trade for him? His salary is pretty high, though. Talk about a bad contract. It's like, I want to say it's five. At least five. I mean, that's the reason why they'd be getting rid of him. But he's that shooter. He's a good shooter, and of course he's got ties to the state. He's only a shooter, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's terrible. I mean, he's... he's he makes uh, it's him and his cancer defensively are pretty similar. His, <laughs> his contract is five boards and five dimes. Yeah, I mean Novak's contract is three point seven five million. Oh, the rest. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Wait, oh, but we're nearly at Dudley money there. <laughs> yeah. Like it's uh, it's a no for me. Uh, he's a good shooter, actually. I think he, he was a very good shooter. I don't think he is anymore. How often does, does Novak get on the floor? Um, I mean, last season he played a total of 35 games, 197 minutes. Ooh. He's not an NBA player anymore. That's, that's basically semi-retirement. Uh, mm-hmm. He only made 19 three-pointers last year. Uh, career average, 43.1%, but it, in, in OKC, he, 20% of his three-pointers made. I know, no, no for me on Novak, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're going to have to say pretty pretty solid, unless they package a first with him. I mean, if they want to give us a draft pick. I'd say the, pick. the books would say no. Can we have a second, please? Yeah, let's, get, <laughs> let's get a couple seconds in here. Um, next question. Um, at books, win it all 11. Is there any chance one of the non-roster summer league guys makes the final fifteen? No, no, not a chance. No. Um, maybe, maybe on like the Sixers, like you said earlier, not on the Bucks. The roster's already too crowded. We've been talking about it for a little bit. There's just no spot. I mean, they have to try and kind of clear spots and, or really just shift a, a guard into a forward somehow. Not, not literally make a guard play forward. But like turn turn a guard into an actual forward, like go acquire one. But no, I don't think any of the the, the some of the guys are the answer. I think if Kilpatrick was bigger, if Kilpatrick was a three or a four, putting up the numbers he was, I'd say no no doubt. Uh, because why not do that instead of Copeland? Maybe not like Chris Johnson then. 
I liked yeah, Chris Johnson. I liked Chris Johnson oh, yeah, last year. Um, I've I've seen rumors that the Jazz are, are considering not going near him, but I liked Chris Johnson. I think his shooting dropped off. I wasn't quite as good as everyone had expected it to be, but he was a good solid player. Um, no, I I think it's a slim chance just because of the guys who are really showing out for the books in summer league are guards. That's going to be the problem because. Unless we're going to start four guards and have four guards come off the bench, there's already too many guards on this roster. Um, oh, here's a good one. It's another one from Appbooks win at all 11. Will Job make the roster? Well, I think we know what Ty's feelings are about Job. I, 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 uh, I hope not. They probably will. They don't like really doing... They only like moving guys who are either old or good, so they'll probably keep Job. Yeah, I think they'll keep him. Uh, yeah, probably, unfortunately. But maybe eventually he'll turn into, um, oh, jeez, who was the guy? Chris Copeland. No, the, uh, <laughs> the guy they traded, traded for with uh, Ramon Sessions, Jeff Adrian. Oh, Jeff, a Jeff Adrian. He'll turn into Jeff Adrian. Oh, yeah. Can we bring Jeff Adrian Jeff back? Jeff Adrian is better than half of these players we're talking about. Uh, can I think he's not in the league. He's an ace rebounder. He's like 6'8", like though, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. I don't know, but he can rebound. Yeah, he can. He's That that problem you have anyway with, with J-O-B, not showing energy um, and sort of not jumping. <laughs> Jeff Adrian does not have that problem. I, I like Jeff Adrian, man. <laughs> I love how this has ended up with us all. Advocate Jeff Adrian. This is <laughs> we should. I want to start a thing. How, how many get him back? How many wins did that team with Jeff Adrian get again? Fifteen. Yeah. Okay. If you had fifteen Jeff Adrians, it would have gone eighty-two and zero. Oh. Come on. Yeah, I, I think he <laughs> added the fifteen. Next question. <laughs> um, this one's from at Ashley Game Over. Uh, if OKC. She's okay, dope. See... Shout out Ashley. She's great on Twitter. She's one of our biggest fans, definitely. Uh, if OKC has Perry Jones the third on the block too, would you trade some second rounders for him? Yeah, I yeah. That's a good... Sorry, yeah. I gotta cut you off. <laughs> I would definitely definitely take that. We we got to use all these second rounders for something. Um, hopefully, we don't just draft a bunch more injured forwards from France. So yeah, if we can turn him into into him, I'd be definitely fine with that. Yeah, I, I like the idea of that. I mean, he's he's at least more of a fit with the books than a lot of these other guys were talking about. Uh, the one thing I'd have with that, I'm going to bring up it's a bit of a sore spot. I know um, Jordan was the first person to alert me of it yesterday, but if we're going to trade some of these second rounders for a guy like that, Mo Harkless went for a second rounder yesterday. Uh, that was a steal. You know, I was I was on that train for from quite a oh, while. Man. I never thought there was a chance of it happening, but the fact that he actually went for a second rounder, the books need a forward. I, I don't understand why if, if if the book signed Chris Copeland and actually if they, if they intend on paying Chris Copeland money when they could have they could have traded a second round draft pick for Mo Harkless I mean I don't know what that says um, it's not nothing good no. what are the Magic doing too I don't I think the I Magic the Magic did a really good job of drafting players uh, this this is like even even someone like him. Andrew Nicholson's a good player too. I, I'd actually I'd take Andrew Nicholson right now. Um, 
as a, as a backup power forward. But they just they've drafted a lot of good players in both the first and the second round, and they've ended up in a place where they've got to move some. No, yeah, they have no idea what to do with them. Now yeah. they're being coached by Scott Skiles, so none of them are going to play. That's, <laughs> is is that the root of the John Henson problems? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Okay, last tweet. Uh, this one's from at Phil Pado. Uh, Hammond said that Yanis has been working hard on his offensive skill set over the summer, but from the picture from posted on Twitter earlier, he's also clearly been working on building up his strength. Just how good do you think Yanis can get? I think he can get really good. I just don't. I. I mean, I think he'll be a good shooter, and I think too. I think what was encouraging this year is that you know we saw it. It's really like. You saw the growth of it. You saw him develop a post game at the beginning of the year. Then teams started defending him in the post, and he kind of had a lull. And then kind of around maybe it was like February or something like that, you started see him go outside the paint, hit that like what probably like eighteen footer kind of start. He started to get that regularly. I think he he's gonna be really good. I just don't know the position where I think is probably the biggest question. And obviously we just talked about positional as basketball, but at some point you have to see where he if he could play where you know, he could eventually play the five. Honestly. I think it's strike strength is gonna have to get there eventually, but he's just so young that he, you know the sky's the limit. Whether he lives up to that is the biggest question. Yeah, how good his jump shot gets determines how good he'll get. He's gonna be an elite defender, that's not a question. He's already bordering on that. Um, but if he hits the jump shot, then he becomes a multi-dimensional offensive threat that has to be game planned for and has to be looked at in every possession. And without a jump shot, he can still be a very good player. He can still get his 14 to 15 points a game. But with a jump shot, he could be a 20-point-per-game guy and an all-star and a superstar. So it really will depend on how good that shot gets. I mean, yeah, I think it was Bill Simmons who said he was... What he, who do you compare him to? Chasing and Grady, I think. That he was a scoring, yeah. a phrase I will remember forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he, he, he. Uh, Simmons thought there was going to be a big third-year improvement in Giannis, specifically in scoring, and just how he scores with the jump shot we talked about, and with like just the number. Giannis, I think, his average scoring hasn't been anything to really write home about so far. I mean, this is only his second season, but still. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. It's all about the jump shot because if they have to respect his jump shot and teams have to come up on him, then that's when he can start going around people and dunking on everyone like he's been doing. But yeah, if he if he has the open jump shot or if he can make even open, if he can make contested jump shots, definitely all star. That'd be ridiculous. Even if this upcoming year though he can make open jump shots, you'll just see a huge improvement in his scoring because it won't be so hard for him. I guess the way I'd frame that question is if this book's roster is going to pan out and they're going to be that championship winning team and they're going to get close to it, what option do you think Giannis is on that? If you're to, to look to win a championship with this as your core most of all, where do you think does, does Giannis as does a second option get you there? Um, is he your third option? That, that's probably the question. I don't think he's the first option. We all know um, Jabari Parker is the guy who they need to pan out. They need him to be the dominant scorer. Um, but where do you where do you feel Giannis could fall in within that landscape? I, yeah, I think I would say second. I mean, 
I don't think there are going to be like these players. I don't, I don't think comparison wise, he'll be anything like him. I mean, if you look at like a guy like Tim Duncan, he was he's very reliable scoring wise, but I don't think anybody would say during the maybe early on in his career. I'll I'll give him that, but during recent the the recent uh, Spurs championship season, I don't think they would say he was the first scoring option. I don't even know who you would say would be the first scoring option. Maybe Kawhi, maybe. Danny Green. I mean, it's tough, it's tough to judge because of how that team plays. But I, I, yeah, I can see him definitely being a second option for sure. I guess it really depends on how long Greg Monroe will be in town, because I could see Monroe and Giannis kind of being an interchangeable second option behind Jabari, who is yes, the unquestioned um, number one option of the future, hopefully. But if Monroe is able to stick around and maybe develop a little bit better jumper of his own. Um, he might be up there with Giannis, but I think most likely number two behind Jabari. But Monroe could kind of sneak into that picture, too, if he sticks around. I, don't, I guess I'm alone on this one. I think Giannis needs to be the first option. Um, I just think his athleticism, his, his versatility, um, if he develops that jump shot, I mean, you're looking at a guy with Kevin Durant's physique who will never shoot like Kevin Durant does. I mean, if he does, then you have Kevin Durant. But even if he's close to that, I mean, you're looking at someone Paul George-esque, and I think that's the first option on the team. I think I think Jabari's going to be a great scorer. I just think Giannis needs to pan out as this this hugely talented player for this current core to win a title. I don't think they can win one unless he does develop that jump shot. I think the one I'd go with is when Jordan brought up the Spurs, I think Kawhi Leonard's a good comparison. Now, it's debatable what option Kawhi Leonard is for the Spurs, but what I'd say, even in their last championship, or even if they're to make a run next year, okay, next year we're throwing Aldridge into the mix, and that changes everything up. But Kawhi, even in going to get finals MVP, that doesn't happen if the Spurs don't have Duncan and they don't have Parker there first. Um, because... If it's not even the, the skill levels they had at that point, it's the respect they commanded, which gave Kawhi Leonard that freedom and that space to work with. That's sort of how I see Giannis. Um, I think for his game, it may be best if, if they could find a way where he's the third option. That It's not necessarily the go-to guy, but he's there. You're, you're going, okay, we've got Giannis Antetokounmpo here. As If you stop Jabari, if you stop Greg Monroe or whoever it is, you've, you've then got this guy to deal with. That would be a really good place for him to, to sort of for him to fall into a good role. I don't know if he ends up better than that. Brilliant. Um, as it is, he's going to be a two-way specialist. Um, he because he, he has an offensive tread as it is, as you guys mentioned. If you can branch out and really get consistent with the jump shot, then it's a it's a completely different story. Uh, that's pretty much it for this week, I think. Um, once again, I've been Adam. We've had Tony, Jordan, and Ty. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back next week.